Know Your Food with Warty, episode 85. Show notes and more for this episode can be found at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 85. Hey everyone, welcome to Know Your Food with Warty. I'm Warty in Southwest Oregon, a traditional food blogger at ganalfglins.com and knowyourfoodpodcast.com. I'm glad you're here. This is the podcast where we're all about ditching those poisonous processed foods, breaking free from the conventional food paradigm, and instead embracing whole foods raised, saved, and prepared with traditional methods. It's fun, it's delicious, and it's healthy. You're on your way to looking good, feeling good, and most importantly, doing good. Hey, and welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today for Know Your Food with Warty. Let's begin with the tip of the week. This comes from my friend, Tara Kelly. She posted this picture on uh, Facebook, and I asked right away, can I share this on the podcast? It is um, a great tip for packing salads to go in a mason jar. But the important thing of it is how you do it, the order you do it. Well, here's what she says. When you put the dressing, like your olive oil, your vinegar, and your spices, in the bottom of the jar, and then you layer the hard veggies, then your meat if you're having it, and then lettuce at the top, this is what helps so your salad doesn't get soggy. You pack it, you take it with you, cooler, whatever. When you're ready to eat, you shake it up, and you'll have a fresh, crisp salad. Tara's got a great picture of these salads in a jar at the show notes. Um, including her chickens right behind the jars. It's a beautiful picture. She gave me permission to share it with you. So just go to the show notes, knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 85 to see it. And thanks, Tara. And today's listener question comes from Carol, who has been reading and making my homemade deodorant recipe, which can be found at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash deodorant. Here's her question. I made the deodorant with the extra virgin coconut oil and beeswax beads, but I still need to make it more antiperspirant if possible. Any suggestions of what to alter? Yes, I do have suggestions for you, Carol. If you are tolerating the baking soda all right and are not ultra sensitive to baking soda, you could increase the baking soda and reduce the arrowroot starch accordingly. But increase, you know, make small batches and increase um, just a little at a time. Maybe instead of the way it is now is one-fourth baking soda and three-fourths arrowroot powder, make it half baking soda and half arrowroot, or even less than that, maybe a third and two-thirds. You're going to have to increase the baking soda, reduce the arrowroot until you get to that point where you feel it's working, but you're not um, breaking out or sensitive to it. Um, If you are sensitive to it, you could simply try increasing the clay in the recipe. Um, and you don't need to really make any other other adjustments on that, but you know, don't go hugely overboard on the clay or you'll end up with a you know a drier deodorant. Another thing you could do is to increase the tea tree oil essential oil. Um, just make that stronger. And finally, if none of those things work, you could try a different homemade uh, recipe, possibly would work better for your body's chemistry. Another thing is maybe you just need more time. Or maybe, you you know, there's a certain limit to where the naturals just don't work anymore um, in terms of a length of time on our body. And this could be because we haven't adjusted yet. It could be because, you know, we've got toxins we're detoxing. It could be 
um, because we, you know, it's very hot and we're, you know, physically exerting ourselves and we've just come to the limit. So maybe add a step in there where, you know, once a day you're washing and reapplying. I really hope you can make it work for you. And thanks for asking your question. I do welcome listener questions. To submit them, just go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash questions. Let's take a quick break and I'll be right back. Hi, I'm Wardy, a traditional cooking expert and food blogger at Ganalflins.com. For years, my family struggled with food-related health problems, but we don't anymore. And I'd love to show you that preparing whole foods with traditional methods is easy, delicious, and super good for you too. So just go to traditionalcookingschool.com slash free, and I'll show you how easily you can do it too. I'll give you five free videos that include my favorite traditional cooking techniques, plus printable at-a-glance fact sheets as a handy reference. So if you're ready to start looking good, feeling good, and most importantly, doing good, then visit traditionalcookingschool.com slash free today. It's time to tell you about our guest today, someone that you've heard in the past. He's actually been a guest twice on Know Your Food with Wardy. That's how great a guest he is, plus the wonderful information he has to share is to his credit. Um, it's Greg Peterson from the Urban Farm in Phoenix, Arizona. So you've heard him in episode 79, where we talked about rainwater and gray water harvesting. And you heard him in episode 67, where we simply just focused on his urban farm, which is a wonderful place. He lives in the city and he grows all kinds of food. Um, so we really dove in there to talk about um, everything he's doing on his lot in the city. So just a little bit of a recap about him. He's a green living and sustainability, sustainability innovator who shares his passion about how to grow food in our cities. In 2001, he created the Urban Farm, which is an environmental showcase home in the heart of Phoenix, and he opens it periodically for tours and classes. So if you're around there, you should definitely take advantage. He's well-versed in urban sustainability and food production. His urban farm features an entirely edible landscape, including over 85 fruit trees, rainwater and gray water harvesting, three solar applications, and extensive use of reclaimed and recycled business building materials. Um, so definitely dive into those previous episodes to get to know more about the urban farm. Today, we're going to talk about urban farming with a special um a special thing Greg's doing. He has a free webinar you can attend. If you're if you live in the city or even if you live in the country, but you're interested in doing more with your land, doing more with your space, you can learn a lot from what he's doing in urban farming. So his webinar is free for you and it's coming up soon. Um, so go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash urban farm webinar. We're it's about to run um, about a week from now when this episode is released, but even if you um, can't attend on the date, you want to register. And if for some reason you're listening to this weeks later, Greg has promised to make it available again. So still go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash urban farm webinar so you can check its availability and get in on it no matter what. It's going to be an ongoing thing. And Greg has so much information about urban farming. And he's going to tell us more about this webinar in the, in the interview coming up. So that's what we're going to turn to now. Hey everyone, this is Wardy, and I'm here again with Greg Peterson for the third time to Know Your Food with Wardy. Welcome, Greg. 
Thank you. Thanks for having me. I love being on your show. It's so much fun to chat with you and your listeners as we, you know, kind of explore how to grow food. Yeah, well, it's interesting because I look back at um, the statistics for each show and the ones you're on are the most highly downloaded. So I know that people love what you've got to share. Um, Thank you. So it's great to have you back. Thanks to your listeners for that. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. So today we're going to be talking about urban farming, um, growing food. Let's start with um, the basics about urban farming. Like, what are the possibilities and what's the importance of that? So I am of the personal belief that uh, the urban areas are the richest place to actually help solve our food, you know, the food situation, the food problems that we're starting to bump up against. And having, having, you know, we have these great big places in urban areas where often they just grow grass. So becoming an urban farmer is really just changing your paradigm or shifting the way you look at a space. And so what I tell people about being an urban farmer is grow food, share it with your friends and families, and you're an urban farmer. <laughs> so it's it's really quite you know that simple and that's just the, again that's just shifting our paradigm shifting how we look at the the spaces that we live in and here i thought you were going to say grow food not lawns <laughs> oh well we could yeah we could definitely do that too you could say that too <laughs> yeah <laughs> well that's great simple advice i mean i love it because you really farming farming is a huge spectrum and oh, yeah. if you just take it simply as you grow food and you share it with others, you're a farmer. And then you just do more of that as you're able and keep thinking right. about what spaces you have to grow food. And of course, your farm is a great example of that. And I just want to remind everyone that the whole explanation about what Greg is doing is was on Know Your Food um, podcast number 67, which is available at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 67. So if you haven't yet met Greg, you definitely, you know, after you listen to this one, go back and check out episode 67 to get the whole in-depth look at his um, amazing farm, urban farm in Phoenix, Arizona. So Greg, let's talk about food miles. What's that? Oh, all right. Yeah, food miles. That Food miles are the amount of miles that food travels from where it's uh, grown until where to where it's consumed. And the food miles are pretty significantly detrimental to the environment because of the amount of uh, gas and uh, uh, transportation costs that it takes to move food. And the average food miles in the United States is 1,500. Wow. Yeah. So, and that's the average. If you're eating a banana, and I'm not making anybody wrong here because I eat bananas too, but if you're eating a banana in the United States, it's likely coming from Ecuador or one of the other countries down there, which um, I figured it out one day. The food miles for a banana is somewhere around 4,900. Wow, pushing 5,000. Pushing 5,000. And the, the, the big health problem with that, if we're, you know, we, we ship from the environmental problem, to the health problem, they have to pick those, the, the fruits and vegetables, they pick them early before they're ripe. And when you're, when you're consuming food that's not ripe, it's not as nutritionally dense as a ripe fruit or vegetable. So we're not getting all of the nutritional needs out of the food when it's picked early. So right. that's, the, that's the two big problems with shipping, you know, shipping food and eating what's not in season. Right. I'm so glad you brought that up. And the other issue with health, of course, is if the food isn't ripe, 
when it's picked, mm-hmm. it gets to us, and they may do artificial things to ripen it. So then you may have chemicals it. or, yep. you know, gas, Absolutely. however they ripen it. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. the consequences are huge. So obviously it makes sense to shorten the food miles and hopefully um, grow what or eat what's grown right around. Right around us, yeah. Yeah. Now, what's what? You also believe in seasonal eating, so talk to us about the importance oh, yes. of seasonal eating. Yes, thank you for bringing that up. I noticed I mo- mentioned that a moment ago. Seasonal eating um, basically is eating what's ripe when it's ripe, and so like here in the desert southwest, the cool thing about gardening here in the desert southwest is there's something ripe in my yard all year round, um, and so like right this moment. It's we're the end of the season of uh, vining crops, so uh, squash, watermelons, cantaloupes, cucumbers, those kinds of things. So that's what's in season, and when we're getting that stuff that's in season, it's at its peak ripeness when we're harvesting it. So discovering what is in season during the different seasons where you live is a really good place to start from a nutritional perspective. to, you know, start adjusting locally, you know, eating local food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's so true. I mean, uh, <clears throat> as you know, um, I'm a believer. And I just yeah. think that God's design for the foods that grow, when they grow, that they grow. there's a purpose to that. And, you know, I think of like, and I'm even thinking of foods like raw milk and you know, like there's seasons for milk. There's the lush growing grass season when mm-hmm. the milk is really high in vitamin D. And then later on in the season when the cows aren't feasting on such green grass, but there's a lot of protein in the milk. And I think those seasons of milk um, benefit our bodies. Oh, big time. And the same is true for the the uh, produce we eat in the winter versus the produce we eat in the summer and, right. and just think about what you feel like eating like in the winter mm-hmm. you're more into soups and stews and nourishing and warming in the summer it's like don't give me any of that heavy stuff I could just eat a tomato right off the vine it's so fresh refreshing right. exactly. cool you know yeah and I there's just so much to that so let's talk yes. about um, the urban farm what is the urban farm. Um, the Urban Farm is the house where I live. It's right smack in the middle of Phoenix. And, and for those of you who aren't familiar with Phoenix, Arizona, uh, there's mm, three and a half to four million people that live in this uh, valley right in the middle of the desert. And uh, I have a property with water rights. Uh, again, it's uh, the Urban Farm is only a third of an acre, so that's about 14,000 square feet. But it came with uh, long-term water rights. So about 20 times a year, I get six inches of what they call blood water in my yard that waters my trees. And there are, there are thousands of acres of flood-irrigated property here in Phoenix, Arizona, mostly that grows grass. And so what I did about well, 25 years ago when I bought the place is I decided to convert a, a majority of the grass to garden beds. And so what I've done is I've built this, uh, this model in Phoenix that I open up periodically. People, I, I do tours in the fall and the spring. And people can come and see another possibility of what they could do w- with their yard in Phoenix, Arizona. 
and it's designed. I call I call it an environmental showcase home, hmm. and it's designed for people to come in and you know look around and get ideas about what they can do, and then go home and try some of them. Very cool. And as I mentioned earlier, for everyone who's listening, we did an in-depth look at Greg's Urban Farm in episode 67, which you can find at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 67. Um, so Greg, you live at the Urban Farm, which makes you the Urban Farmer. So talk uh, to yes. us more about your role. Uh, you know, really, my role is uh, transforming people's ideas around growing food in the city. Um, that's and I get to do that every day. I love to do it. I'm a, a professor at Arizona State University. I teach two classes there, uh, again in this same arena, um, in the you know growing sustainable food arena. And so what I get to do is I get to show up every day. I get to do radio shows, podcasts, um, television, and just in general, show people a model of what's possible in the city. Because the truth of the matter is, from a you know from a very uh, food secure place, most cities have about three a three day food supply of food available. So part of what propels this conversation forward for me is getting people to think about that and to start planting and planning the infrastructure for a long term food supply in the ground. And so I, and with the urban farm, what I've done, so the urban farm, again, is a third of an acre, and I've pretty much converted the landscape to edible. So there's always a meal or two in the yard. No matter what day of the year it is here in Phoenix, Arizona, I can go out and harvest an entire meal out of the yard. And um, so you're also, you've also got, and that includes your chickens, too. That includes the chickens, yeah. exactly. We don't eat the chickens. The chickens are pets. They provide us with the eggs. Um, with a nice amount of eggs. Now, in the past, I've done some meat birds. Um, it doesn't, you know, not for somebody faint of heart. Um, <laughs> you know, raising and then butchering a chicken is. I did it because I'm not a vegetarian, and I wanted to. I wanted to experience that, so I knew what the process was. It's good. And after that, I'm. And after that, I'm much more of a vegetarian. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but you're an educated vegetarian, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, the the beauty of raising our own meat is that we can do it very humanely. But of course, yes. there's the the side of it that you get to know um, the animals. Yeah. We are about right. to we are about to butcher some lamb that we've raised all summer, and we had a family discussion this morning, and oh, wow. we've mentioned it for a couple of weeks that you know it's coming up. But one of the kids was like, "What?" <laughs> But yeah. but she's okay. I mean, she knows. But it was sort of like a, you just have to change your mind that that's what's going to happen. And then you're very thankful, of course, because it's very oh. good yes. what we're able to grow. Um, yeah, exactly. And, you know, when I, so when I had done this, I, I fished when I was a kid. So I caught fish and, you know, processed fish when I was, you know, fishing as a youngster. Um, but as an adult, I'd never had to kill something to eat it. And, you know, the first thing I did is I just blessed the animal. It's like, thank you for, you know, the what you've done on the planet. And, um, yeah, that's where I started. I had to. Cause, mm -hmm. you know, I was taking the Yeah, because I was taking the life of something, which I'd never really done before. So it was, it was an experience, that's for sure. Yeah. So as an urban farmer, a very experienced urban farmer, um, can you talk to us about, I mean, we've kind of hit it, but... 
Is there anything more to say specifically about why p- people would consider being urban farmers or looking into well, this? There's, yeah, there's the food secure piece. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, eating um, eating what's in season and eating, you know, eliminating food miles. That's a, I love my house because it's, I measure it in food feet rather than food. <laughs> um, then there's the there's the third piece, and this is really a really important one for me. And probably, I would guess, a lot of your listeners, and then that, that's exact. you know exactly what's going into your food. Yeah. You know, I'm organic at the urban farm for 25 years, and I know what's in the soil. I know how I've created the soil. I know what I've added to the soil as additives, as fertilizer. I know what's in this food. So the food comes to me um, with my knowledge to be very clean. And so that's really the third piece of why, why you would want to grow your own food. Um, and well, you know, and then there's the plugging in the nature piece as well. Um, right. Yeah. Just going out and, and being with nature and seeing life happen and seeing the magic that the absolute magic that happens in my yard every day is, is awe inspiring. <laughs> How much time do you spend out there? Would you say? Not nearly enough. Because <laughs> you are very busy. <laughs> yeah. You know, with the educational stuff I do, um, probably a half hour a day right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've also got all these systems with your rainwater and your gray water and what the chickens well, are moving through. And then you've got per- so many um, perennials. Perennials. Yeah, and, go ahead. Am I right? I always get confused. Perennials are the ones that... Grow. Year after, yeah, year, year after year. Yeah. I mean, so you've exactly. set up so many systems that in your half hour you're enjoying and maintaining, and you still every day you could, um, and you do gather a whole meal from what you're growing. Yeah. So it's it's a testament to systems and the beauty of it. Because well, that, yeah, go ahead. That's you know I've studied permaculture now for 25 years, um, and I like to call permaculture the art and science of working with nature, mm-hmm. and. That it, what you just said about systems is so true because what I've done over the past 25 years is I've put systems in place so that the system and nature manages the space and then what I do is you know is a minor impact on a daily basis yeah and, you know it's a little tweak here and a little tweak there that's having nature do the work so I don't have to work so hard yeah and that's so smart and it's it's smart but it's smart on so many levels. I mean, it's smart just if you're interested in time and efficiency. But of course, I think most of us should spend more time outdoors enjoying. But it's just so smart because it means that um, the things that are growing are doing what they should be doing. Yeah. You know, they're not fighting. They don't have disease. They're right. they're flourishing. So the systems are working in their favor, too. Exactly. So we've been talking about a lot of the big picture things about farming. Uh-huh. And we keep... I keep mentioning urban farming, but I think a lot of these apply to no matter what kind of farming, urban or out in the country. But let's talk about um, farming in the city in particular. Okay. Like, um, what kinds of things should we be considering? Um, What kind of farming are we doing in the city? And just talk specifically about issues that come up with urban farming. Great. Well, so... One of the big issues, and, and I get this question a fair amount, and that is, well, what about the pollution in cities? Oh, great question. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like, what do we do about that? 
because we've done a pretty good job of polluting our cities. Well, and the truth of the matter is we've done a pretty good job of polluting our country as well, you know, mm -hmm. the country space as well as the city space. You typically, if it's in the country, it's because we've been throwing all kinds of petrochemical petrochemicals at the farms to keep, you know, to, you know, pesticides and herbicides and those kind of chemicals. So we have that, we have to take that into consideration in both places. Um, and if you have a concern about pollution in the city, there, there are ways to work around it. One of my favorite things to do is called aquaponics. Mm -hmm. And basically an aquaponic system is a closed hydroponic fish pond system where the water is pumped from the fish pond up into some hydroponic beds where the plants are growing and then the, and, and the plants clean the water and it goes back to the fish. So, uh, and then the fish poop, obviously the fish fertilizer and the water is fertilizing the plant. So it's a really eloquent system and it's, it's one possibility if you're really concerned about the, you know, the pollution that's in space, in, in your space. Um, I know my property uh, well enough to know that, you know, the house was built in 1948, which was pre any, um, any agricultural pollutants that they were putting on the property. Um, so that, you know, I, I purposely found my place and it's a pretty clean space for that. So mm -hmm. that's one big consideration to urban farming. The other one is, um, you know, the discovering your space. And there are so many that, you know, I, I mentioned aquaponics, there's hydroponics, there's aeroponics, there's raised beds, there's um, traditional organic gardening in the ground. There's, you know, there's all these different kinds of things, ways that you can grow food. Um, and what I encourage people to do is go spend some time in the space and observe and figure out what's going to work best for you in the space. Cool. That is great advice. When, when you're talking. So it's, a, it's a process of observation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what about, um, you were talking about aquaponics as, uh -huh. a, as a way to purify your space. Mm -hmm. What if somebody's not doing aquaponics is there some level of purification that's just happening by cultivating lots of plants in your space yes absolutely in fact there are there are plants that actually can take heavy metals out of soil and out of water um, cattails do a really good job of those kind you know hmm. that kind of thing mushrooms interestingly enough mushrooms are one of those great equalizers where where they come in and they're they're actually picking up the toxins and so there's so many different kinds of things like that that you can uh, just look to nature as you know as a way of purification. That's, yeah, and that just takes some research for what you know what what you're concerned about. So what what's a good place for people who are interested in urban farming? You know they they're they're in the city. They probably they still have grass mostly. Maybe they have a couple right. garden beds or they've got you know a tomato plant in a pot, but they want to do right. more. What do you recommend? Well, one of the so. I've been looking for a long time to see, because I do what I do here pretty widely in Phoenix, and I've been looking to see how to, you know, expand, expand that past Phoenix. And I've, I've designed a series of, of, of webinars um, so that people can actually plug in and start thinking about how would it, what would it be like if I started farming in my yard, and what are the different things that I need to um, consider. Uh, so I have a, a, a new webinar coming up here. It's called From Backyard to Balcony, How to Grow Your Own Food, Even with Limited Time and Space. Okay, and let me, can I just interrupt you for a moment? Sure. I want to give everybody a link to that okay. um, and before you, you can continue telling the details. But to connect with that, you can, of course, visit the show notes anytime. We'll have links 
knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 85. But here's a direct link right to the webinar sign up. It's knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash urban farm webinar. Turn urban farm webinar into one word. Okay, go ahead, Greg. Perfect. Thank you. So really what I've, what I've come to discover is that there are so many things that you need to consider and they're not hard considerations, but there's so many things that you need to consider before you ever put a seed in the ground in order to be successful. And people don't go there. You know, people get excited and, and they want to plant a tomato. So they go to the, go to the nursery, local nursery, they buy a tomato, stick it in the ground, and it doesn't live. Because they haven't taken the time to think through the process of what does that tomato need. You know, what does it, does it need light? Does it need heat? Uh, what kind of space should it go in? What kind of soil is required for it to grow in? And so one of the big things that I distinguish, and we talk a lot about this in this webinar, is what are the six ingredients to, that you need to actually begin doing in order to successfully grow food? Great. Um, and, and the first one is observe. You know, what I do is I have people in, in, the, in the classes that I teach and the webinars is I have people close their eyes and go mentally stand out in their garden and think about all of the things that there is to observe in the space. We have pests of all kinds, all the way from birds to rabbits to bugs to, you know, neighborhood pets. Um, you have the sun. Uh, here in Phoenix, the sun is, is an essential thing to to take into consideration because if you plant on the west side of a structure, that means your garden's going to get western sun and western sun can cook your garden in no time. <laughs> you know, so again, solar, solar aspect is this thing to consider um, in order to, uh, you know, to successfully grow food. And so there's all these things that you need to go and observe for water. Uh, what's your soil like? Most people here in the desert have what I call dirt. It's missing four other ingredients in order to make it healthy soil. So these are the kinds of things that you need to start observing for in your space to set yourself up to successfully grow food. Great. And I, and I, go, I go through that in this free webinar. I go through that in depth. That's, that is a big, the big part of the conversation that we have in this, in this webinar I'm doing is what do you need to observe for and, and what considerations are there about that in order to eat a ripe tomato right off the plant. Very good. I just appreciate your generosity, Greg, because I know you know so much. You've been teaching so much that um, I think I already signed up for the webinar. So I will be there. Um, I mean, of course, we're in the country, but I just think you have so much. I mean, anybody, anyone who's interested in farming. And of course, if you're in an urban area, you have even more reason to cultivate uh, your space just very smartly. But we all do. So I'm looking forward to learning from you. And, and the truth of the matter is, with the what we're going to be talking about in the webinar isn't specific to urban areas. Yeah. You know, I've branded myself over the past 25 years as the urban farmer here in Phoenix um, because I'm living for, in the middle of four and a half million people. Um, wow. But, yeah, it's a huge space. But um, the, the specifics of what we're talking about apply to anyone that wants to go plant a seed and be successful doing it. Very good. Well, what else can you share with us? Um, you going to cover anything else on this webinar? Oh, and I wanted to know, um, is it is it live? 
It will be a live webinar. Okay. And what if somebody can't make it? If somebody can't make it, have them sign right up for it, and they will get a a delivery in their email box of the recording of it, um, and they'll be able to listen to to it that way. Great. So again, everyone, that's knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash urban farm webinar. And that's how you can sign up for this free webinar with Greg that's going to be on Thursday, October 2nd. So you will have some time um, after this podcast is released to sign up, but it really depends on when you're listening to um, yeah. listening to us. So if, you know, if this is October 1st, you better hurry. <laughs> there, there, there you go. There you go. Yeah, you know, the other thing I'm going to distinguish is that and you know, I go to the pocket. Um, g- purchasing organic, locally grown food mm-hmm. can get expensive. Mm-hmm. And so, one of the things we're going to discuss is how much money can you actually save, um, and you know how much of a difference that can make for your family. So there, you know, there is that monetary piece um, that you know I grow a lot of food at the in the yard at the urban farm, and I'll bet you we save. I don't know, thousand to two thousand dollars a year on food. Mm-hmm. My family, so you know that that's another piece here that you know that we really want to take into consideration is you know in these in these hard times, how much money can you save? Well, yes, and that's just the the very basic level, like pound for pound. But right, exactly. there's also all those other things with health, um, tangible oh, yeah. and intangible. I mean, because yep. most of the food that we have access to, like we were talking before has traveled thousands of miles, is not nutritionally dense, and or if it's not like a fruit or vegetable in the like produce department, it's probably poison. <laughs> uh, or has poison with it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. or, you know, then there's the you're sick and the doctor bills. So this... Yeah, I, I, love, what my, I love what my friend Amy says. She says, uh, Greg, you can pay for it now by, you know, paying, buying a little more expensive organic food, or you can pay for it later at the doctor." exactly yep that's so true well thank you so much for your time greg it's just been absolutely wonderful once again thank Um, you let me just remind everybody to check out the show notes knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 85 for links to all the things we've been mentioning including the urban farm webinar and i did say earlier that it's going to be Um, October 2nd but I also want to mention that Greg is going to repeat this several times a year so you can still follow that link to see what's available even if you're listening past absolutely and we you know and here's the here's the exciting part this is this is like step number one step number two next year we have a uh, a nationally known um, seed saving uh, organization that will be bringing a uh, seed school, how to how to save seeds, how to breed seeds, that's coming online. So we've got this is just the beginning. There is so much more coming that I'm so incredibly excited about. Well, I can so. tell, and I think it's wonderful because you've been doing all your local teaching, and now you're doing even more online, so the whole world can benefit. Yes. So it's just great work you're doing, Perfect. Greg. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope to see you again soon. Let me tell you what you can do next. You can visit the show notes for this episode. Just go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash, and then without a space, just type the number of this episode. You'll get links and much more information about what we've been talking about. 
You can submit questions for future episodes. I love to answer your questions on the air. So go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash questions to submit them. You can stop by traditionalcookingschool.com to get five free traditional cooking videos from me. And finally, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, the podcast app, or Stitcher. If you're on a mobile device, just search for Know Your Food with Warty while you're in the app. If you're on a desktop, go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash iTunes right in your browser. While you're there, please do leave a rating or review. I love to get them, love to read your comments, and they're invaluable to help other people find this podcast. Thank you so much.